0: Welcome to the new, uh, September 10th, 2020 meeting of the Science Fiction Club. Um, we're here once again to talk about science fiction books, um, which is why it's called the Science Fiction Club, um, or books that might have been science fiction many years ago or several years ago, but are now not science fiction, even though they have AIs in them. But anyway... Um, who wants to go first? Anybody wants to volunteer to start the book's discussions? I
1: guess I can go first. So in case I fall asleep, I will. Oh,
0: <laughs> Martin!
1: That hurts. I'm just kidding. I know. course, I must admit, last last time I you were, all went way beyond the hour, and I left.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, we we were, we did run on pretty long, but I saved right. it in okay. the recording. Oh, good. Oh, by the way, yes, I did. So, all right, Martin, you have a
1: book. The book is called Decision at Duma by Anne McCaffrey.
0: Oh, well, she's She's famous in science fiction circles.
1: She has a ton of books on board. Oh,
0: yes. Lots and lots of books.
1: She sure does. Has anyone read this book or do anything about no,
0: it? No, I've read other stuff by her, but I, honestly, I'm just not a, a big fan of hers, but I've read one book. Actually, the club did a book by her, something about freedom, something or other. I, I don't remember. I, I was... But, um, but uh, yeah, so I haven't read a lot, but, um, but I know about her.
1: So. All right. at any rate, uh, this book deals with um, Earth is, this is the future, and Earth is tremendously overcrowded, people are living in very difficult conditions, and so they're going out and looking for planets to colonize, to take the pressure off the population. However, there are certain stipulations that they have to meet in order to remain on a planet. Apparently, they had a contact with an, with an alien group on a planet, and somehow they had a very negative effect on the, on the population to such a degree that the population committed mass suicide. So ever since then, they've established norms that, two basic norms, the planet has to be inhabitable, and it has to be vacant of any <laughs> intelligent life. If there is an intelligent life on the planet, then they can't stay or they can't coexist. So they find this planet called Duma, which is, it seems to be a very lovely planet, very Earth-like, very habitable, and, and they sent a group of colonists there that made a, sur- a survey of the planet, and they, and they didn't find any sentient life. However, once there, and once they settled in, they, they did another survey, and lo, behold, lo and behold, they found a village of, of cat-like creatures who turned out to be intelligent. So the big dilemma facing them is what to do now, because they... Since these are sentient beings, they can't stay. Um, but in the meantime, they, they start getting to know them and there's interactions and everything. And there's a lot of, you know, interaction among the colonists and, you know, the, the main character is a guy who came from Earth and, and um, mm-hmm. he's the first one who makes contact with them and he, he has a, a certain linguistic abilities and able rapid, rapidly to learn some of their language. And they seem to get along very well, but of course, there is a directive that they can't stay. So, they're waiting to be, you know, to be taken off the planet, and they don't want to go back to Earth, but they don't have any choice. When suddenly, these creatures disappear. And it turns out that there's some interjections during the course of, well, it turns out that these creatures actually aren't natives of this planet, but they're an advanced civilization who also are exploring the, the universe. And they and they had some some of their people live on the planet uh, just as a sort of as a punishment or maybe experiment, and they lived in a a very primitive manner in a village and they used spears to hunt and things like that, which is what made the Earth people think that they were, you know, relatively primitive but intelligent. Well, finally they end up recognizing the fact that they that they they both are are civilizations that have, have explored the planet, the universe, and they decide to change the procedures and make a, a ruling that they can both coexist together on the planet. And uh, so they do, and that's basically it. Although there's a second book, a sequel called, I think it's called Crisis on um, the Duma. Where, where they when they have problems, but it's a rather I enjoyed it. It was very interesting. Amazing how in the beginning you couldn't figure out what happened to these cat people where how their a whole village has suddenly disappeared. And they so they have more advanced technology than the, the earth people are able to teleport each other the whole village mm-hmm. back and forth.
0: So Wasn't was, that I, the rule in the dragon books too, that they weren't. That
1: that, they were I'm, allowed I'm, not, to, I'm not familiar with that. So the drag really,
0: the uh the dragons of well, maybe it wasn't. Um, I don't know. It's been a long time since I read her.
1: Stuff. I mean, one of the interesting, endearing things in the book is that she, the 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 main characters have a son uh, who's sort of a, a really strange. He doesn't get along with anybody. He's very advanced, and he ends up falling in love with these cat people and turning out to be learning their language to such a degree that he he's their interpreter with with the role with the ruling uh, group of their of their pl- Planet Meets the Earth People. And he's really, you know, they, they really treat him very well. and He, he makes a, a, a portable tail. They imitate the tails that they have. So, it had a lot, a lot of nice um, features in the book.
2: So, that's it.
1: Well, she's
0: very popular, and a lot of people like her books. So, uh, people listening to this will, if they haven't read it, some of them are almost certain to go get it. Um, so it was great to have that on because she really, and she's written a great many books. I don't even, I don't know how, what percentage Bard has, but Bard uh, probably doesn't have them all and it has a lot.
1: She, has a lot, know, mm-hmm. a lot she has
3: a lot. She has <laughs> a lot of fantasy books too, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, things, she has a lot of stuff doing with dragons. For instance, I was looking at some of the titles
0: yeah, but those are science fictional, aren't they? Those dragon riders of Pern and so on. Those are supposed to well, There's one to a, interesting
1: see. one that might be interesting called Dinosaur Planet that she wrote also. And that made me think of a book that we have read, I believe, together a long time ago about this guy who has these expeditions to go back, back to the prehistoric age to hunt dinosaurs. Yeah, oh, that yeah.
0: was Al Sprague de Camp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a good, that was fun. I'm not I a big time travel fan. I'm not. I've said many times, but... If, if if you want to go back to the dinosaur era, I'll I'll go I'll do time travel for that. <laughs> uh, that's Those are fun, even though oh I, I, I make an exception for time travel back to the dinosaur.
1: What was the name of that book that went back in time? Oh,
0: man. Oh, man. You would I'd have be. to look. <laughs> I don't remember, but uh, I will post it on the list when I find it. At any rate,
1: this Dinosaur Planet sounds like it might be an interesting book. Maybe I'll choose that for the next book and... Can you report on that? I think
0: Stephen Utley, uh, he wrote he he had wrote a, a a collection of stories called the Silurian. I think they were called something about the Silurian cycle or the Silurian series or something. And he used to publish these in Asimov's. They were kind of similar to that too, where they went back to uh, either to dinosaur or prior to the dinosaurs. I forget which age the Silurian was. But um, so those are kind of fun. Uh, the the Elsprague de Camp ones, yeah, I can't remember the name of it now, but it's it, it will not be that hard to find. Uh, Barr doesn't have a huge number of his books. As soon as I see the title, I'll know it. Uh, but the, that was a fun book. We did that one some years ago. I remember it was in the winter because I took it with me when I was traveling to see my family over the Christmas holidays. Or was it the summer holidays? It might have been. It was one of those two, though. Anyway, I'll find it. Um, so, um, I don't know. Roger, you usually go first. Do you want to go second this time? Or?
2: I guess that's okay with me.
0: Is that okay? All right.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, br- I bring you a book called Hour of the Horde. That's spelled uh, H-O-R-D-E by Gordon R. Dixon oh i picked this one up from bookshare and i'll note that the condition that it was listed under was fair and that usually means on bookshare that it's unreadable but in this case it was really more like good there were a lot of scanning errors and the page headers were intact and all that but it was still fairly readable but i made a Quality Report and Bookshare lets me know that they will be rescanning it. But what it is about is that there is a, an art student in Minneapolis. And by the way, Minneapolis is the city that Gordon R. Dixon lived in. So I guess he was writing about the places that he knew. But there was an art student by the name of Miles who is, um, let's say, he is a wee bit egotistical. That is, he thinks he's the greatest artist who ever lived, and he's not. he's still only a student. But he's a painter, and he thinks his paintings are absolutely wonderful. It follows him for a little while, but then one day, a very large... Spaceship turns up in orbit around Earth, and it contains aliens which, um, by the way, look like humans but it is explained that they are taking on that guise, that's not what they really look like because they know that if they let humans see them in their natural form the humans would be absolutely disgusted by them but they come with some very serious and bad news. It seems that the galaxy is full of life and full of intelligent life, but all life in the galaxy is in danger because they are about to be attacked from the outside. Uh, They are about to be attacked by what they call The Silver Horde. The only reason I can think of that they would call them silver is because that's how their spaceships are described, as uh, silver spaceships. And the spaceships coming into the galaxy number in millions. Well, let us say hundreds of millions, maybe more than that, perhaps billions. There are a lot of them. And this um, silver horde, their main interest in our galaxy,
1: is food.
2: They will eat pretty much anything that's alive. They eat all organic material, and they go from planet to planet, eating up everything on the planet. And occasionally they miss a few things, and uh, these um, aliens have observed what they have done to other galaxies, and sometimes they actually reset life they missed enough that it could continue to evolve and life gets started over again there sometimes they miss entire planets but for the most part every time they enter a galaxy they absolutely devastate it and so what they want to do is defend our galaxy from this horde before they can actually start doing damage and they are on earth to recruit someone to fight against the Horde with them. Um, It turns out that there is only of all the billions of people on earth there is only one who is really qualified to fight the Horde. Um, I suppose you might have already guessed that that one earth champion turns out to be Miles the artist. Now, they contact the United Nations first but after that they contact Miles himself and Miles is not exactly happy about the idea of leaving Earth and going off and becoming a soldier. But um, they tell him that it's completely voluntary He is the only one on Earth who can do it. And if um, he refuses, then they'll just leave and leave Earth to itself. And he is very tempted to refuse. But then he gets to thinking, if this horde makes it to Earth, that will mean that all of his beautiful paintings will be destroyed. Or if they aren't destroyed there may well be no one left to look at them. And that decides him, okay, I'll do it. And he is, um, as it turns out when he makes this decision, they say, by the way, you're already aboard our spaceship. Your apartment here is reproduced on our spaceship and you are here and we are about to start training. And in fact, they have him lie down on his bed and they make him completely healthy. The noticeable thing about this is that he has kind of a lame arm, but when he gets up out of bed, his arm is perfectly as good as the other arm. He is allowed to visit various places on Earth before he leaves. All he has to do is think about where he wants to visit, and he's there. And mostly he uses this ability to contact his girlfriend before he leaves. But um, I almost passed by what characteristic it was about him that makes him suitable to fight this horde. Uh, These aliens tell him it is because he has psychic abilities. But then they are very quick to say, psychic isn't the right word. What you have is something that there is no language on earth that has a word describing it, it's just the psychic comes closest, and girl, it it is a very rare quality. So, pretty much, we are looking for for one representative from each species, intelligent species in the galaxy, to join our army against the Horde. So they whip him off Earth and take him out to the edges of the galaxy, where he's ready to fight the Horde. And once he gets there, he finds out he isn't even going to be in a combat role. Um, He is taken to the spaceship where he's going to be housed. It's a big, huge spaceship, and there are thousands and thousands of them around but they amount to nothing more than a dormitory, really. It doesn't have any fighting capabilities. But in each of these thousands of spaceships, there are thousands of aliens. It's like a repre- one representative from each species, and he represents humans. And, you know, actually, it's... I couldn't help being reminded of a very expanded version of the Star Wars cantina scene (laughs) with all these various aliens being housed together. And of course, he doesn't feel like he fits in, but then none of the rest fit in either because they are all one of a kind, just a single representative. And what their job was going to be, it turns out that not even one of them is going to have much of an effect at all. That's why uh, these defenders of the galaxy um, were so willing to let him turn them down because it's not like he's going to have a much effect. It's just that all of these champions can use their so-called psychic ability together to make the silver spaceships from the silver horde just come to a dead stop and then the combat forces go out and just destroy them one by one and by the way the way they usually win or the the horde usually wins is by their sheer numbers there are so many of them that they are willing to sacrifice sacrifice thousands of their spaceships just to uh, destroy one defending spaceship. But if this so-called psychic ability can be used to make them stop dead and make them defenseless, then they can be wiped out to a point that um, it would not be worth it to them to invade this galaxy. And what they're hoping is... The Horde is going to see our galaxy as too expensive to actually take over, and they'll just leave and go on to another galaxy. Well, once the fighting gets started, it turns out that, uh, by the way, yeah, the ones who actually do the fighting, who actually um, kill the alien spaceship, the Horde spaceships, I'm not sure, I listened to the audio version of this from Bookshare, and I'm not sure what it was saying. I think it said they were centaur aliens. It sounded kind of like they were saying "center," but it would make a lot more sense if they were centaur aliens. In any case, the centaur aliens are doing the fighting, and they have a very, very advanced computer that calculates everything that's going on, keeps information about all of the um, defenders of the galaxy, all the centaur aliens, and of course information about the Silver Horde, and the computer program decides whether it's worth continuing the fight. And at a certain point, it looks like the Silver Horde is going to win, so it's necessary for everybody to run off and be for themselves, just defend their own planets and just hope that they can survive on their own. And so they, the centaur aliens turn and run and here comes the Horde. Well, Miles is very upset about this. He again thinks about all of his beautiful paintings. After all, he is such a genius artist, and he doesn't want his paintings destroyed. He is so upset about this that he, even without military training, without knowing how to do it, he takes possession of a fighting ship and rushes out to confront the Silver Horde himself well somehow that changes all the calculations for the supercomputer and it um, makes it decide that maybe the defenders of the galaxy have a chance after all so they turn around all these spaceships that were in full retreat turn around and come back to attack The Horde again. And then follows something. Well, I would say this is patterned off of uh, Star Wars, except that this was written before Star Wars came around. This was published in 1970, and Star Wars didn't come around to 77. But you have a lot of Star Wars type space battles. And, well, yeah, they do manage to fend off the Silver Horde to decide there are other galaxies that are better pickings than this one. So the Silver Horde goes into retreat. I guess that's not a spoiler. You know, most every um, novel has a happy ending. And, of course, Miles gets to come home again. And... um. And that's pretty much it i think probably the most interesting part of the book was the space battles but that's pretty much what's it's about so what do you guys think
0: uh i think he used that idea in his uh, uh he he uh it sounds interesting actually i um haven't read a lot of dixon um but i did a book for the club Um uh, called the Pritcher Mass that he uh, published um, in, uh, I think it was uh, 1973. Um, And he used a similar idea to this uh, psychic unity of all these people um, to only in the case of the Pritchard Mass, it was about uh, finding another planet for humanity to live on uh, instead of uh, fighting off aliens. Um, But um, I think that one was published a little bit later. So he is copyright 1972. So I think he had the same idea in his head for the Pritcher Mass as he did for this book, which came out first. Um, but I like the Pritcher Mass a lot. So um, I might like this one. I haven't really looked into his you know, I haven't studied you know, I haven't looked at a lot of his books. So this one sounds interesting. Also, of course, uh, the human has to make the big difference. That was really you know, especially for John W. Campbell, you know the humans were always the most important. You know, even when the aliens were more advanced, you know, human <laughs> pluck, human pluck and courage, and you whatever uniqueness or whatever was going to, you know, finally win, you know, in the end or make the pivotal difference or whatever. Um, it kind of, you know, Gene Roddenberry was influenced
3: by that.
0: You know, humans always had to be, you know, on top, just about Human
3: exceptionalism.
0: Human is exceptionalism, exactly. There you go. That's the word I wanted. <laughs> but it sounds like an interesting, fun book. Um, so that sounds cool. Gordon Dixon is, you know, one of those guys. He published a lot of stuff, I think, uh, but I haven't read a lot of it. Uh, he was one of the Golden Age writers, you know, though he did write into the 70s and so on, and even into the 80s, I don't know how long he wrote, but uh, he wrote a lot. So that's cool. The Silver Horde. Is that right? Please.
2: No, the title of the book was The Hour of the Horde.
0: The Hour of the Horde. Okay. I'd forgotten that and all the Silver Horde. Um, the Hour of the Horde. Oh, cool. I'm going to get that one. Though I might wait for the rescan. I'm going to read it in Braille, and that it it can Braille errors show up. It's easier to see them in Braille, and sometimes the audio you can skate by them if they're not too bad. But Braille shows all of them up. Um, But if it's not too bad, I might just get it and start on it.
2: By by the way, Bookshare uh, Bookshare has a number of fair uh, quality books, and for the most part, that means unreadable. And uh, this one was about equivalent to their good, and good means there's a lot of scanning errors too, and usually the page headers are intact and all of that. But when you report these errors to them, they are pretty prompt about rescanning it and submitting it to an outsourcer for proofing, and they have another copy up pretty quick. And it has occurred to me, and I couldn't bring myself to do this, but it has occurred to me that I could just make a quality report on all of the fair quality books and get them all replaced. But then if I'm, I, I'm sure that Bookshare has limited resources, they don't have all the money in the world. So I'm not sure it's ethical on my part to get them re-scanning all these books and redoing them if I'm not even really going to read them. So,
3: right.
2: Yeah, so well, you got to
3: wonder, too, if they're yeah. already... They have a process to, you know, when people have time to find a yeah. fair book and just read not I don't, I don't, I I don't think, think they're looking for em. Yeah. I,
0: think yeah, I don't up think, up them think they're looking for them. I think it's up to the readers to... So uh, I'm,
2: I'm saying, if you guys have... I wouldn't want to encourage anybody else to be unethical and just re, report the book without trying to read it either, but I'm saying... If you guys have time, it might not be a bad idea. Next time you feel like just reading a book, download one of the fair quality books or good quality books and see if you can get through it. And if you can, not or even if you can, just make a quality report to them and um, have them, and they'll rescan it. But I wouldn't really suggest just reporting something that you don't even plan to read because, I mean, you could report them all and boy, would they have a job then. It's probably rather expensive.
0: <laughs> I think, and I heard this somewhere, but uh, I don't know this for a fact, but, but there were a fair number of science fiction fair done uh, books done early on in Bookshare. I think some of the people who were originally volunteered or volunteered very early, like back in 2001, 2002, put up a good number of their science fiction collections and they just threw them on the scanner, scanned them in an hour, a couple hours. They weren't proofread very well, if at all. And they were thrown up into the collection. Um, They were just tossed up there to get, and, and the purpose was to just get a collection you know, because how are you going to have people join if there's nothing up there? You know, so the, in the early days, the I, the object was just to get books up there. You know, to say you know that you have something for people to get. Um, and there's still a bunch of those up there. I don't know how many, but there's certainly hundreds more of fair books up there. And some of the good ones are horrible too. Uh, I replaced an excellent one last week, month that I told you about Protector by Larry Niven. It's up there. It's been up there for a few weeks. It was rated excellent, but it was still pretty bad. It had two divisions of page, because it was one of those ASCII repaginated things. They tell you at the beginning of the book, this was repaginated for, uh, and so it had page breaks, and then it had headers several lines down from the page break. So you had two interruptions of speech on every page um and so i redid that um and so um yeah it's a good idea if you plan to read if it's got to be something you want to read but definitely do those quality reports because they do take them seriously i have done several not just on those books but i did a um i did one for a john brockman book that was up there that didn't actually have the essays in it it had a bunch of other stuff but not the they, they took it out they didn't rescan it because it was a PQ book, but um, so it's a good idea to do them because they do take them seriously.
2: There was one that was graded as good. I forget which one it was now, but it was better than good. I mean, the scan was near perfect. I maybe I think maybe I came across just a couple of scanning errors in the whole book, but all the page headers were intact, and <clears throat> I reported that to them and specifically said. That I really don't think this needs to be rescanned. It just needs to be proofread. And they notified me that they were going to rescan it anyway.
0: (laughs) Well, in those cases, you could get it. You can actually ask them to put up the original RTF file that the book was scanned from. And I've heard that you can do this. Um, If you just do a quality report, I think they just automatically just put it in the rescan bin, but if you ask them to, they can put up the original RTF file of the book and it will have a hold for you and you can just download it and then put it back up as proofread and it'll go back into the collection. Um, but yeah, some of the some of the, you know, back then some of the excellent books, you know, there there was some variability. I have a book now I'm reading that's excellent. It's called Bloom by Will McCarthy, and I'll talk about that next month. And it's not too bad, but it definitely needs work. But I think I can read it. I don't know if it deserves a rescan. But anyway, um, uh, Liz, or Catherine,
4: or Liz? Catherine uh, I'll go next. Still here? This, is Catherine still here? I don't... It says she's on the
0: phone, but I don't know if she's still here. I have to look at the list. Liz? Oh, wait, wait um, I hear.
4: Go ahead, Liz. Okay. I have a book, um, Dark Matter, by um, Blake, Blake Couch. Crouch. Crouch? Yeah. Yep. Oh, you know it. Okay.
0: Oh, and, yeah. We did that one a while ago. gosh. We did that oh, one gosh. Some years ago. That's okay. okay. But you were spend, here, so we can get your perspective yeah. on it. So don't worry. Um,
4: yeah, I won't spend a lot of time on it then, because you know the story. But I, I actually like this. I love... Um,
0: yeah, but people listening to the recording might
4: Oh, I see. Story. Gotcha. So yeah. You okay.
0: Give them a little...
3: A little sure bit of an outline
4: what was okay. the title
3: again i'm sorry I...
4: dark matter okay. by blake crouch
3: it's okay, good
4: so, yeah it's uh, published 2016 and um i'll give you the db number on it right now so it's a good book have... we we
0: enjoyed yeah. it it was very popular it was it we had
4: oh, a great good we, we really liked it so it's um a db 85205 Um, Okay, so Jason Dessen is a professor um, in Chicago, a physics professor in Chicago, and the book opens with he and his wife are making dinner together. It's Thursday, and Thursdays are family nights in their house, and that's very important. And um, she's on her phone, you know, scrolling through Facebook or what have you while he's chopping vegetables, and his son is drawing a picture for a school project the next day. And she says, "Oh," And he says, "What?" And he, she said, "Oh, well, my friend I don't remember her name um, just uh, opened a, her own prestigious art show. And then we find out that Daniela, the wife of Jason, is an artist, or was an artist when they met, and she those were her aspirations is to, order, you know, to, to really rise to the top and have her own gallery and show, <clears throat> excuse me, shows and stuff. And so, you know, and he said, you know, wow, that, that's something you really wanted to do. And she said, yeah, well, I'm happy with her. You know, I, I like our life. And as they continue to talk, you find out that he says to her, well, you know, my old college roommate, um, <coughs> excuse me, I've got a dry throat right now, um, just won, won the Pritzker Award. And, you know, he went on and, you know, did all this wonderful stuff. She goes, oh, wasn't he the one that you kind of had to help? through a few classes, and oh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I like our life, and you find out that basically they were both on path to ascribing to these lofty goals that their friends are now achieving when they got pregnant with their son, and so they did the right thing. They got married. Um, He, you know, had to support a family, so he got a job at at what he describes as a second-rate university in Chicago area. And uh, they they have a nice enough life, it's happy, but, you know, they didn't really, they weren't able to go on to, you know, because she stays at home with the kid, um, who's now 15, by the way. Um, So she said, hey, you know, well, he said, in fact, he's having a celebration just down at their corner bar. He doesn't still need
0: changing, though. Huh? He doesn't still need changing, though.
4: No, 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 he's 15 years old.
0: I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: So <laughs> he stays home
0: with the kid still. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, but sorry. But she
4: gave up her career. No, she gave she up did. her career. yes. Yes, yes. And so she says, hey, why don't you go out and have a drink with him? You can be home in plenty of time for dinner. I'll go ahead and finish up here. And on your way home, just stop and get some ice cream <laughs> for dessert. And then come home and we'll have, you know, family night. Um, So she talks him into it, he goes, okay, so he goes down there and his friend is there and, and, well, his roommate is there, I wouldn't call him a friend, (laughs) but he's kind of arrogant and, you know, insists on, won't let him buy, you know, won't let Jason buy him anything. Just that one-upsmanship all the way. So Jason kind of stays there for a while. He leaves to, you know, he wants to go home, be with his family. So he stops by the store. But he's still a little – it kind of ruffled his feathers and, you know, got a little envy going there that this guy is doing what he wanted to do and what he could have done easily had he not kind of sidetracked his life by getting pregnant, you know. Um, (coughs) So on his way home, he's um, abducted by this guy. It is really very brutal abduction. Um, He's afraid he's going to die. This guy is wearing a mask. But Jason has this sense of familiarity from him. He, like, I know this guy, but I can't place it. There's something familiar about him. But he had no idea what he looked like. And the guy kept, kept a gun pointed at him all the time. So he drives him way, makes, makes Jason drive his car way outside the city. They end up in um, a deserted warehouse kind of situation. And he takes them down into the bowels of the building basically where all these old generators are there he starts you know he he starts injecting drugs into him and Jason's fighting the drugs because he can feel them taking effect and he's fighting them and he's you know begging for his life and please don't hurt my wife please don't hurt my kid because this guy has obviously been stalking him for a while knows everything about him his birth date his passwords everything about his family his habits Um, And, you know, so Jason's sure that for some reason he doesn't have any idea who might have the motivation to do this to him. But um, he's just sure that he's going to, you know, that his family's in danger. And as Jason is starting to really get pulled under by the drugs, he sees the guy who abducted abducted him inject himself with some drugs. And his demeanor started to change. And he started to soften and he started to say, how it, how, so you know, the guy says, so how was your life? Did you like your life? Did you like the way it turned out? Well, I love my wife. I love my son. I, I love my job. I, I was, you know, my, my life was good. <laughs> I'm sorry, my life was good. Um, but he said, but did it turn out the way you'd hoped it would? And he, he kind of got Jason to say, well, you know, I wanted to do this, but, you know, no, I wanted to, I, I really, I really love my life so he loses consciousness when he wakes up he's being pulled out of this place and by by people in hazmat suits and he's been discovered and everybody is congratulating him and just thrilled that he's back and saying no one has ever been gone that long and you know you're a celebrity and he has no idea what these people are talking about um and, you know, so he's, as soon as he can, you know, regains his consciousness and they're able to, you know, get him back to physical health after what he's been through, um, he starts remembering his wife and his son and his life and their life in Chicago. And he's like trying to tell them that he needs to talk to his wife and he, he wants to know if they're okay. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he said, My wife, my son, my job. I need to let these people know where I am and that, that I'm okay and that I'm alive because I just went out for ice cream, kind of thing, you know. And so they pull up all of the information they have on him, and it is him. It's his name, it's his birthday, all of the identifiers that he goes. But you don't have a wife and you don't have a son. You don't teach at this college in the Chicago area. You have been lecturing at Harvard and Yale and all over the place. You've won the Pritzker Prize. You are. A, a, a genius so he's like it's it's kind of almost like um it's a wonderful life <laughs> meets uh quantum leap you know <laughs> um, so, um i liked the book i liked it a lot because basically the book is a series of him he's he's okay oh, um, before we get to the quantum leaping stuff that i'll go through really fast um they just got, they they really feel like this guy is crazy and so they start Treating him as such, and he knows that if he doesn 't get out of there it, that he 's not going to get out of there i mean he's got he 's got to escape from this because they 're getting ready to commit him involuntarily. He um, manages the, the, this uh, one of the um, workers, Amanda working there she knows what 's going on, and she helps him escape um, she show, gets him back to this the box and you find out the box is basically this transporter where they go to do all this quantum leap from uh, um,
0: one branch to the other one one branch to the other timelines
4: yes and you know and I've always loved that thing like for every decision we make we, you know, another decision is made, and we're living that decision that we didn't choose to, make. you know, the, the, the thing that we didn't choose is going on in another parallel universe. I love that, that concept. I don't know why, it's just always fascinated me. Anyway, so basically the whole series of the book is him trying to get back to his original timeline, and he and Amanda quickly discover that where they end up is greatly influenced by what they're thinking when they actually go take the drugs and, and and get into the box they have to use the drugs in that transporting process and there's a limited supply so every time they make a you know make a, a leap into another branch um he reduces the his finding his chances of finding his uh original timeline you know by that one so They have to be really careful at trying to train their brain to think about where it is they want to end up. And many times they end up almost at that place, Um, but then Jason quickly figures out that he keeps running into doppelgangers and the person who originally captured him was actually one of his doppelgangers that wanted his life. He wanted to be in his uh, the original Jason's timeline. It gets a little complicated because you find out that there's tons of these doppelgangers and they all show up in the end. They're all vying for that opportunity to have that final timeline with the wife and the son and that they get to live the life that the Jason number one had. Um, it ends well. I liked the way they ended it with letting the son choose which door they go through next. Um, because they have to get out of their current timeline to get away from all the doppelgangers, <laughs> um, but I, I really liked the way they ended that—that um, that everybody ended up back together. And you know, it wasn't a heavy—it wasn't a super heavy read. It was—it was entertaining. It was—it was—it um, was human. There, you know, there was some. You know, kind of, it also reminded me a little bit of that closing scene in Wizard of Oz where Dorothy's, you know, the next time I want to go on an adventure, I'm going to go no farther than my own backyard, you know. <laughs> um, just kind of like, you know, appreciate, you know, he appreciated what he had and that he could let go of the um, that wanting to have yeah, but that, some more of the, than what he some had, of the, you uh, know.
0: Some of the earths they find, though, are really different.
4: Oh you know, yeah. There, there yeah. was some
0: interest there was some, you know, imagination in it as well as some thought provoking stuff. You know? Yeah,
4: yeah. I so I, I love the inter- snowstorm and the yeah. you know, finding the the ultra modern They um, had
0: one really that was really futuristic and
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, there that's was, what So I mean. there
0: was some yeah. really different ones before they got the ha- hang of trying to get closer right. and closer to the original timeline. They went pretty far afield, but they found their way back yeah uh, it, finally and then they they got the hang of it so they could get all you know closer to where they were where they were supposed to be so it was it was fun it was good you know people liked it when we did it so i'm glad you liked it it was mm-hmm. you know very popular extremely uh highly uh does rated.
4: he have other books or Oh, I, never...
0: I don't know. I have to look. I oh, think there oh, might yeah, be can... one or two my others, but I don't know. I would be name.
4: interested in reading more from this author. I enjoyed it that well, much. It was it was entertaining. Um, it was well, I have to look,
0: but uh, that was I definitely a good up. one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, see yeah, see yeah. if he's got. And if Bard doesn't have them, you know, Bookshare might have them. Right. Um, as a last resort, I usually check Amazon if, uh, if I really want to make sure you know whether right. somebody has a book. You know, especially in new books, um, just you know, a good tell way to tell you about them before
4: they come out. Right, a, a good way, a good source that I use too. If I'm looking for other author, authors' books, is I go on Goodreads because mm-hmm. they usually have um, at least the list of all the authors' books if you you know search on that. But, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I'll, I'll be looking for right more than that one. I enjoy it. Very.
0: I think Sherry's time is next.
3: Okay. I read something. Oh, first of all, I looked up the Elf uh, Sprague de Camp book. It's called Rivers of Time. That's right. <laughs> yep. Rivers of Time. Very that good. That was fun. Yeah. There's some real
0: bozos in that book. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was, was pretty It was funny. a lot of fun. It wasn't really heavy. But there's some real jerks in there. It yeah. was a was good book, though. It was really well done. So, So un um,
3: Yeah, it was much better than the book I read for this month, which is Uh called, it it wasn't bad. The book is called Heaven's Shadow. (laughs) No repeat of last month. (laughs) (laughs) By David Goyer. And um, it's about, um, there's a near earth object or a Neo that people want to land on and explore. And there's a US team and then there's a team that's a collaboration between Brazil, India and Russia. And both teams land there about the same time and they start exploring. (coughs) Excuse me, I've got a cough tonight. Um, They start exploring about the same time and it's kind of nice because they cooperate with each other. And the most interesting part of the book is they find that this isn't just an object, it's some sort of spacecraft. And the aliens that they find there happen to be resurrected humans like Zach, who is the leader of the US. It's his wife who died in a car accident several years Mm. ago. He knows it's his wife because she knows things no one else would know. And she doesn't really, she has a vague idea of, you know, how she got there. And she seems to know something about the aliens and stuff like that. And there's also a little girl who's the niece of one of the Brazilian astronauts who's also been resurrected. They first come upon a really hostile alien who uses a sword and chops up this astronaut Later on, he ends up resurrected, and he seems to be not a kind of a bad guy. And the book is such an interesting, creative idea, but it really wasn't that well written. I thought it was, maybe it's just me, but I thought it was kind of confusing. And a lot of the book is um, the two spaceships get destroyed, and a lot of the book is them trying to figure out how they're going to get back to Earth. And the um, resurrected Earthlings seem to, age really quickly excuse me i'm gonna to have to cough again Bless you. yeah just bad timing here that's yep. what happened to me <laughs> um anyway um and then zach though he doesn't want to leave his wife so he doesn't go back out and try to use one of these things to escape and meanwhile they find this big alien with multi-limbs and who's lumbering around and they don't really know what his purpose is. But this Neo sends a couple of um, objects to earth, which of course freaks everybody out. And it lands at the um, space center in India and at the space center in Houston and causes some destruction. But the intention is that they're gonna scoop up a bunch of humans and bring them back to the Neo. And that's kind of how the book ends. And I really didn't understand the purpose. Mm-hmm. Except maybe the alien oh. kind of wanted to study them, or like, mm-hmm. you know, improve uh, humanity, or something like that. But it's kind. I might. They might even have a sequel. But I didn't like it well enough to that I mm-hmm. checked. But it was a really creative idea. It was just kind of a shame that it wasn't better written.
0: Oh um, dear! Is that was that on Bard?
3: Yes, it was on Bard.
0: Oh, okay. I missed it. I must have skipped through. I must have read it and then forgot about it. <laughs> I get through these books most days and I just skip through really fast to see if anything's interesting and then I, yeah. you know, then I forget about them
3: well in this sure. case that's okay
0: all right
3: okay just to note here
4: I'm on Goodreads Blake Crouch has a ton of books oh, so yeah. I'll go back to oh no, a ton I won't even go through I'll I go think back he to has Bard some that
3: aren't even sci-fi if yeah, I it, it,
4: right. I mean, there's 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 a ton here. I can't.
3: This, okay.
4: So I'll be looking. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, see what Bard and uh, Bookshare There's a series.
4: Have. There's Serial Killer, number two mysteries. Uh, you know, oh, so, dear. yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, okay. Uh,
0: by the way, Lissy wanted me to mention that she did a book for Bookshare this month.
4: She's done a few over the last
0: few. She did uh, Circus World by Barry B. Longyear. And I can't review it in detail because I didn't actually read it, but I scanned it. Uh-huh. and it's about this circus troupe um, and they are land on a planet and um, they actually run the planet but the military from the confederation or whatever it is wants to take over and so the it, but it's a collection of stories um, uh-huh. that uh, was written back in the 80s late i think it was 79 or 78 he didn't have a really long career I don't think um but um it just went up last uh a few last week uh she's done some other books she wanted to come but I told her that it was I I was sure I had told her but she says I didn't so I'm in trouble um but um not really but uh she will Come, she wants to come next time and tell you about because she's uh, doing another book by Damon Knight. It's one of those Ace Doubles uh, that has uh, Damon Knight uh, a novel and some stories in it, and that'll be up on Bookshare by um, next, uh, probably within the next week or so, uh, or a couple weeks. But I did a, a novella. It's not a standalone. It's in another. It's in a book. Um, it was published as a standalone. It's called. Oh, did you want to say something, Liz? It's just a
4: general question that can easily be saved to the end. So go ahead and do your book.
0: It's uh, not it's, about a it's book. Called, it's called True Names by Werner Vinge. And it was published back in 1981. And I actually read that when I, uh, back then with the Opticon. Uh, it was actually published as a standalone novella. It's 30,000 words. So by the definition of the Science Fiction Writers of America, it is a novella, not a novel. But um, I had to borrow it from the Carnegie Mellon Library. It was the only place I could find a copy at the time. But it has been published since then um, in a collection called True Names and Other Dangers, which Bookshare doesn't have. But Bookshare does have a copy in a collection called True Names and the Opening of the Cyberspace Frontier, which is a collection of nonfiction articles based on or loosely based on or inspired by or related to the novella true names which is a classic at least according to a lot of people and I think it should be um, and it is about um, it's actually if you're familiar with uh, William Gibson you know the cyberpunk idea of you know jacking into the cyberspace you know you know direct human uh, computer interface, You know, you jack this into your brain and you see cyberspace, you know, as a like what what uh, Gibson calls a consensual hallucination. And you see representations of various corporations and power plants and and data centers and, you know, servers and stuff as different things in cyberspace. And you can interact with them and all that. Well, true names actually came out before William Gibson's Cyberspace, uh, William Gibson's Neuromancer, and though I think some of his shorter work had come out by then, but not much. And it is about, uh, only it takes a different form than William Gibson's Cyberspace did, uh, and it doesn't actually require brain surgery, uh, you know, and a jack in your head to uh, get on um what he calls the other plane and you just put some electrodes on your head and you get these faint sensations and with practice you can actually start building up you know and realizing what they are you have to be very quiet you know for a while some people take drugs to try to get them into the right frame of mind but our protagonist doesn't need to do that he just stares out the window at the scene in front of his house which is in nature and you know, the trees and stuff, and he gets into a kind of a meditative state, and he starts getting into the other plane, and it's magic, it's it's kind of, a, it's a different thing from Gibson's, it's like magic, um, they have a coven, and they live in a castle, and various things are, you know, represented in terms of magic, like some of the um, automated systems are like or, or, the, or the people on there are like werebots or witches and warlocks and so on. And they cast spells. And the reason it's called True Names is because, it, and he got this idea from Ursula Le Guin's A Wizard of Earthsea, if any of you have read that. No. It's a really mm-hmm. good book. It's a fantasy, but it's a, I enjoyed it. I actually read it a couple of times, most recently, a few years ago. But anyway, so if somebody knows your true name, they can – kick you out of the plane. Uh, obviously, if they know your true name, the government can come and, you know, arrest you or take your your equipment away because you have to have a license in, in you know, Vinji's universe to get on the internet. You know, the government's more authoritarian than it is, than it is now, though, Wow, well, we may be heading that way. But anyway, but the government finds this guy's true name. His name's Roger Pollock, and he is one of the most powerful warlocks in the in the uh, coven on the other plane and they find his true name and they come and tell him that you are going to help us because there's somebody who's infiltrating the government and we don't know who it is and he's scary and uh we need you to help us and you're going to help us find out who it is and he's Goes by the name of the mailman, but they don't know who this guy is. The mailman. He's, but he seems to be getting powerful. What the coven does, you know, it's like hackers. And they they get onto systems and they they take they they change records, or they just advertise that they were able to crack your system. Ha ha, you know, or they actually may take money and transfer it to a different account secretly. So you know, the government has noticed that. You know, people have been doing that. The coven does some of that game playing. It's not real serious, but because they know if they get too serious, the government really will come down on them hard, but and find their true names, but they did get Rogers. And so he has to help them find this mailman. So he goes to the coven and tries to find out more about him because, you know, the coven has worked with this mailman before and he's getting involved in bigger schemes some of the people in the coven are getting, you know, working with this mailman to, you know, get more money. And one of them, though, one of the most powerful, her name is Erythrina. And she actually is very worried about this because she sees some of the other coven members getting suborned by this mailman. So she agrees to work with him, though he doesn't tell her at first what he's doing, what he's in thrall now to the government. That's what it's called when... When the government knows your true name, you're a thrall. So, but he eventually has to, and she still helps him because, you know, the mailman's a bigger threat right now than the government um, because they find out more and more about him. And so they get online and the government says, well, we're going to give you some resources so you can help us, you know, work on this problem because you guys are really good at this, you know, at least as good as our best, you know, people on the inside. So they they start finding more evidence of the mailman in various government agencies. You know, changing records, and, uh, reallocating resources. Well, they are. Here's what the interesting thing about the book to me was, and this is why it's 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 really interesting. The plot is interesting enough. Obviously, they find out who the mailman is. I'm not going to tell you, but um, and there's a big battle. But the battle is. Each one of them, uh, as they discover, you know, and they start uh, contesting, competing, fighting, I guess you would say, gets more and more computer resources. So what you start seeing, I know, and they're all attached to cameras and, you know, phone, you know, you can see phone conversations. And Vinji does a great job of describing what it's like to have, you know, people who are, you know, the normal people, normal humans, gradually becoming more and more aware more and more um, you know with more and more of these resources able to you know search through files and gather information and think you know and notice patterns more. That's the really interesting part to me is the 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 um, the kind of the augmentation angle of it. And so that's the basic plot of the book. And so I'm, and I'm not going to spoil everything because I, I think it's a really good I book, start, it's a really I good book that. and you might want to read it. Um, so so um, but that's the basic idea of the book. They, they want to find out who this mailman is and eventually they do find out who he is, but not before, you know, he tries to take them. You know, he tries to get rid of them. He tries to turn. The government's weapons against them you know to give them the what they call the true death because obviously if they can kill he can kill their bodies then they're out you know they're completely gone and so there's battles over you know control of weapons you know there's battle over you know all the internet resources that are available you know for you know controlling things uh, it was really, really good. I read it years ago with my Opticon, as I said, about 35 years ago. And I was impressed with it then, and I'm still impressed with it. Um, there is an ending to it. It's The book doesn't end with a battle. There's a little more to it after that. Um, so uh, that's my book. I really enjoyed it. I wanted to read it again after all these years. I read four political books last month, and I wanted to read something, you know, that was different that I knew I would like and that something was lighter, different, <laughs> something lighter or something more interest, you know, more not more interesting necessarily, but something yeah. uh, 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 not in this world.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? exactly. So exactly. I
0: really enjoyed it. It's called True Names, and it's in the collection. True Names and the Opening of the Cyberspace Frontier from Bookshare. Bard does not have a copy anyway. Oh. So that's my book, and I'm okay. just really happy with it. So, all right, I will say uh, before it gets too much later that this the next meeting of the Science Fiction Club will be on Thursday, October the 8th. Is that right? Yeah, September 10th, so it'll be October the 8th. Oh, yeah. Um, 2020.